0: Hi everyone, my name is Deontre Sinet and I am your host for a Distinct Lens podcast. I have a special guest here with us today. I ask you to introduce yourself, uh, tell us what you do and how old you are. My
1: um, name is Gerard Greenland, 24 currently. Mm-hmm. Currently a student, started my studies again. What do you study at? at? Brighton University, England. Okay, okay. Out of the way, yeah. I was current, I was born in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, city okay. of kings, like a proper third world country. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, came to Corby at eighteen.
0: Corby, England. Yep. Okay. And that's where we are now. Okay. Okay. Yep. Well, welcome to a distinct lens podcast, and we're here so that we can share our cultural experiences. Um, we can understand more about finances to increase our financial intelligence and also so that we can um, level up in the terms of practicing group economics. Something that I noticed in our communities, it seems like we're so divided, and I think about it on an international scale. Most black people that I've met all over the world, like we have a lot of similar experiences, even though we grew up in different parts of the globe. So yeah, that's the purpose of this podcast, and I really look forward to this. That's wonderful. Okay, so... Um tell me about your life in Bilaueo. Um who were you raised with? What what was it like? Like what was a typical day? Um I was raised all
1: over. I was raised by my mum, yeah. my grand, and then my father. I was also raised by one of my aunts for a while, but wow. you know, it's different.
0: So it it really took a village in your case?
1: Literally. I think that's why I'm a bit all over the place. Okay. <laughs> yeah different yeah well
0: and what was what was life like when you were growing up there um different very different different
1: from from england different from england like i I can't even explain it it's like a novel situation like i'm pretty sure i can write a novel for you about my lifestyle Would you mind sharing a story yeah. Um. Let me start with the way I was born. It's quite interesting. Okay. It's a true story. ca I, I got like references if you need them <laughs> because it's a bit. Mental so I can go back
0: and fact check. This.
1: Fact check it because okay. this is okay. funny. Um, like I was over as an overdue child. Uh, my mom went to the hospital, and because she was experienced labor pains, but she had no constant, you know, construction, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and then. She went into the labor, and then the nurse was telling her, like, oh, you're not going to give birth to this child. Like, he's he's not you. He's not coming out. You wow. have no no reactions, no nothing. And then she was like, no, I'm going to give birth to him. I'm going to give birth to him. And then the nurse was like, okay, come I'll put you on one of the beddings, you know, like on the bed. and We'll take you and put you into the labor ward just in case.
0: So your mom felt she was about to have you. She had no contractions, and she told the nurse.
1: Yes, and then... This is where the puck gets good, literally. And then she was like, "Um, could you help me jump up onto the bed? And the nurse was like, you're thinking she's been funny, isn't it? Like, you can't jump on a bed, you know, like, you know, obviously you lean forward. She was like, no, no, no. If I move a certain way, this child is going to come out. What? Yes. She was telling the nurse that if I move and I lift myself up, the child is going to come out if I press. And she was like, oh, no, no. Like, oh, you're joking, you're joking, you're joking. Mm -hmm. My mom told the nurse. Come stand here. Make sure you're ready to catch this child. And that's how I was born. Our, my so mother the
0: nurse caught you?
1: The nurse caught me by my foot.
0: Wow. <laughs> so it sounds like you shot out. Yeah. That's <laughs> the story of my life. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's a different story of how you're born, isn't it? <laughs> I've never heard a story like that. It's mental. Though. So you were ready to go out the womb, basically. Literally, I was shot out. Ready, running. <laughs> okay. So what, what was one of your earliest memories in Bill
1: of Oil? Um, I wouldn't say it's a great memory. Um, one of my earliest memories, I wouldn't say it was a really great one. Mm. It's a memory of my father. Of him. He, like, let me go with this here Because like, Let me say it this way. My father used to date the neighbor next door.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> in general. Yep. Wild, isn't it? Okay. Yep. My father used to date uh, date the neighbor next door, so as a kid, I was probably like, I would say about maybe five. I think I was five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always used to see my dad go and visit the neighbor and the neighbor's son and play with the neighbor's son because he could see across, obviously, just across the road.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I could see them playing together, and my father used to neglect me as such. He never used to stop or even come and say during the week. I wouldn't see my father for a month, but I used to see him across the road. Wow! And that's how my earliest memories of my father playing with the kids
0: next door. Wow! Yeah. Okay. So, in a financial sense, what what was life like?
1: A Financial sense, um, quite hard, I would say, quite hard. There was no food. We went through um. Depression.
0: What's, what's the currency in Zimbabwe?
1: When I was when I was young, we had the Zim dollar. When I was about 14, we lost the Zim dollar. We started using U.S. dollar and RAND. That's the South African currency. Okay. We used to combine both of them. The South African, the South African RAND, rand, rand the and dollar. the U.S. dollar rate-wise because it used to be 1 is to 10. So because we didn't have any U.S. coins, we used to use the rand as... Yeah change and then use the U.S. dollar as the more dominant power as like having higher notes. Ah, okay. So whatever you used to buy, you used to have to exchange values. You rather, if you buy it in rands, you find some certain shops that charge more if you buy it with rands than if you buy it with U.S. dollar. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when I was living at 18 years old, when I was living in Zimbabwe, they had brought in another currency, so-called bond note, because there was supposedly no more US dollars in the country. Hmm. Supposedly.
0: And so what was this bond note? Was this a
1: government issued? It was a government issued note that was supposed to be one to one to the US dollar. Hmm. Illegal government at note that was supposed to be one to one for the dollar. But on current like on exchange view it was just meant for the prime ministers and the ministers of the country to actually get hold of the U.S. dollars that's circulating in the country Ah. to make themselves further riches and to control, obviously, the amount of U.S. dollar in the country.
0: So it sounds to me what they did was they created this currency so that they could put it into circulation in order to remove the U.S. dollar and hoard it for themselves and issue something that was really of less value. If if it had any value yeah. at all and to that's how the f- masses.
1: Yes, and by the time I left that bond note that was supposed to be one-to-one with the U.S. dollar, devalued to the point where it was like 10 U.S. dollar, was like 10 bond note was to, not even to the U.S. dollar, to a rand.
0: Wow, so it was devalued even further than a rand.
1: Yes, that's how fast it devalued because nobody wanted it. So the people's power as such tried to de-
0: devalue, devalue, devalue. Ah, so that's like how bad it was like that. The basic economic principle of supply and demand. Yes. And the people didn't want it. Yes, and but it...
1: they're still at the end of the day, like, there's this one story, like, that was quite published in the news before I left the country, With mm-hmm. this one prime minister that was leaving the country with, I would say, a brand new C-class Mercedes-Benz with a bag full of US dollars. Understand, you know, a gem bag full of U.S. dollars. You know, those money moves where you see people rob the bank and they got that U.S. dollars in the gem bags? That situation. Wow. Leaving the country, going to South Africa. And they caught him doing that. That was like during the Mugabe, before Mugabe died, when Mugabe struggle, power started going and that's, to
0: That's uh, Robert Mugabe? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was the previous president before... Um, I don't What's his name? Emmanuel? I don't even know his name. Yeah, it's Emmanuel
1: something I believe. Yeah, he's just as bad as Robert Mugabe at the end of the day.
0: Okay, so um, I'm assuming you were in the education system. What was the education system like in Zimbabwe? Um,
1: I would say it's very strict. I'm not gonna, it's like proper strict. There's hardly any teachers, but the teachers that are there, they do their job. And they can beat ass. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like they do not they do not take anything. They if you do
0: wrong you get your stick. Wow. Yeah. And I, I said his name wrong. It's Emerson Mungagwe. Yeah, Mungagwe, that's yeah. it. Okay. And so they were very strict. They did not mind corporal punishment, put their hands on you. Mm. Um Do you think they prepared you to handle money in Uh, the education system in Zimbabwe?
1: No, I would say they wouldn't because themselves were struggling with the situation of money. Then How could they teach money to the other people if they don't have the money to show?
0: Uh, And I see what you're saying in terms of financial awareness, Mm -hmm. monetary, fiduciary responsibility. It was very low, so how could they teach something they didn't know?
1: Yeah. That's the whole situation about it. And I think that's what our country suffers with to this day.
0: Okay, okay. Now, uh, this might seem like a obvious question. Well, it might seem like an obvious answer to this question. But do you feel that financial intelligence or awareness, uh, understanding how to manage your money is important in the type of communities that we come from? And when I say we, I mean black and brown people.
1: Yes, definitely. Because we weren't taught any of it. When we came... Like I would say, like my grandparents, when they came out of Rhodesia, like Mm -hmm. out of the white power, they weren't taught any of that. They were just given a government without and not knowing how to run a country. All they known was war throughout the last years when they left, when they got their independence. They only knew how to use violence. They only knew how to struggle, how to steal, how to rob each other.
0: Those were that's the what they, they grew had. up,
1: the older skills they had. They were never taught how to run a country. So when they came into the country and they got their country, that's all they knew.
0: Now, uh, for those of us who aren't aware, when you say when they got their independence, I'm assuming you're talking about independence from from a colonizer. Who yes. colonized Zimbabwe?
1: In the English. That ruled over 90% of the world, obviously.
0: Wow. How long? How long was... Uh, Zimbabwe a colony of, of Britain.
1: Uh, I could not say. I it was over a hundred years, even a bit more. Wow! I know it was a long time.
0: And how how did Zimbabwe end up gaining independence?
1: Do you know? Um, through an independence struggle, we fought for it. Um, I was one of the few that were born called born Fries, So, like after the independence, that's
0: what they called the newer kids that came out. They were called born freers. Born free. Yeah. And if you were born prior to that, what were you considered, like a born slave? We're like we're born the strugglers, isn't it? You're born to struggle. Wow. So,
1: because now you're born in a situation where you weren't allowed rights, You like the whole slavery system or less, you weren't allowed, didn't have rights, didn't have the right to your own land. You didn't have a right to be on the bus. You didn't have a right to vote. You didn't have a right for to buy. You didn't have a right to go into certain shops.
0: And then all of a sudden, the whole country is free.
1: Yeah, and that's where I would say, like, because without, without, like, hardly us say, knowledge is power. If you weren't taught how to run something, how you expect to run it? You just, in the end, you just got thrown with thrown, thrown, I don't even know how to, like, explain it. Like, you, you just got given a country and you yourself are un, unable to manage yourself yet. Then you get given a country to run.
0: Yeah, I understand exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even manage my myself, like, in a personal sense. How do you expect me to manage a country? And
1: that's where we struggled because they took everything from us. So... They separated us. Our education system was separated. We weren't allowed to be ar- around certain parts of the neighborhood. We weren't allowed to be to buy houses in certain parts of the neighborhood. We weren't allowed to go to certain parts of the neighborhood, obviously. We weren't allowed to even sit and, on certain buses. Why is that? We had separation, isn't it? We were separated. From? It's apartheid. apartheid. We are separated from each color of our skin. Ah,
0: okay. So, so uh, well, I don't know uh if a lot of my listeners understand what apartheid uh means or how they delineate by skin tone your i guess your social status within a, a a country how how did that work because i heard a lot about it in south africa but i didn't know it was prevalent in zimbabwe as well
1: um apartheid i would say was handled by I would say it's been in all of the countries in Southern Africa because that's how they managed the system because the white people had a dominant power over the brown and the black people.
0: So in terms of the hierarchy, the social strata, uh, Caucasians were at the top. Yes. And yeah. the people, I'm assuming, who were the darkest skinned were at the bottom. Yes,
1: and that's how it was worked. At like, You had the Indians and the mixed races because we were mixed race with white. They wouldn't let us be. With the black because now you have a bit of social status because of your father or mother, mm. depending on how they took in the slave, you know, because either you find the women, our women were raped by mm. the men at that time. And then if that child, if their woman had a child, that's an heir to that man. So then obviously they could not, they did not want to leave the child depending on the person himself, because sometimes they would just kill them. Wow. So, and then we were separated because of that. So we had like we were putting the social status as the Indians, because the Indians came from, obviously Indian stuff to work, and they were put in the positions of managers, Indians were like managers, and, uh, how can I put this in a way like in America, this is like I don't know if I, I've watched a movie once, and they said there's a person called a house nigger. Mm-hmm. that's what the more or less the central status was of us. We're called the house niggers, more or less.
0: Ah, okay. It's because they would have a field niggers in the house niggers. Yeah, that's the way I can actually put it. Then you'll
1: have the white people, and then you have the house niggers, and then you have the field people.
0: What was it like growing up in that type of environment?
1: Um, I was lucky enough not to be born in that type of environment. I was born after it, but the effects ah, of this it... this was
0: post-apartheid.
1: Post-apartheid. Okay. When I was born, I was like after apartheid like I was born like after the independence and the struggle was over and everybody was put together Mm. but you must understand the system that has been there for years is not easily separated so when I came into the world I was also put into a school with different people but obviously now you're in a school with black and white Mm. you think the kids of white people that been ruling, been in the ruling party for how long? Would want their kids to socialize with black people mm. and mixed race people? It's not the case, and that's the same situation with the black people. They have now recently got their power and they have the strength now, and they were like, we have the power now. We don't want to be with you guys, or we have the power to dominate over you guys now. And that was the case again also. Or and they also some black people had the inf- inferiority means because they felt smaller than. Because they're a bit darker than me, they felt smaller than me. Mm-hmm. And I always used to feel bad about that situation, like, because they used to put us more on a higher pedestal than them. And I'll be like, there's no point for me to be in this pedestal. Me and you, at the end of the day, you my brother.
0: Mm-hmm. And so it was the psychological effects of that. Yes, it's also a psychological effects. And that social cast were still reverberating after you were born
1: yes and that's the situation i was born on in that situation where we're experiencing like we're all put together but we're still separated being together Mm. and we had the means of some parents hating the white people for what they've done and they're affecting the kids and that's when the kids who see us being obviously being of a half-caste family it's obviously saying the white masters the slave masters and the whole situation of them being together like that and we were all put in one school or one town and we can mix now. You still get the hatred. The hatred does not go. Mm. The hatred is there. You obviously, if you... It's something like... The hatred, I would say, is like... If you hear your family say... Constantly talking about a white demon. You're going to know the white demon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you see the white demon, you're going to call the white demon the white demon. And that's the, how the whole situation went. Because you, the parents struggle through it. You, I understand their pain. They struggle through it. And they had that hate in their heart for the struggle. Mm. And they pushed it onto their kids. And their kids now also felt, see the pain that their parents went through. And then now you've been in a school with the white demon.
0: Now that's interesting. Because I'm, I'm just thinking about our topic. And financial awareness. But I'm thinking about also what you've just said. Concerning you know the caste system and how it divided people and how it still divides people and how people to to this day still have that hatred in their hearts for one another. I don't know if financial intelligence would improve that situation necessarily. Um, I heard a quote once and I don't remember who said it. They said, uh, "You can't legislate the heart. So you can put all the laws in place." and legislations in place to make sure that people, it's illegal for people to harm other people. It's, Ill, it's illegal for human beings to mistreat and, and murder and rape and rob other people, but you can't change what's in their hearts. And I think at the crux of a lot of the issues on a global scale and just on a human level are a heart issue. Like how do we feel about each other? And more introspectively, How do we feel about ourselves? Because essentially, the way we treat someone else is a reflection of how we would like ourselves to be treated or how we treat ourselves, regardless of our skin color. Yes,
1: and that's where our situation, where as a country, like as being a Zimbabwean, a citizen of Zimbabwe, where I can see like on our, our economy and our financial system itself, that's where we crashed because we came out with so much hatred. Our government, like when we came out of independent like when we got out independence we still had so much hatred to the white person mm-hmm. instead of trying to like i'm not saying what they did was right or wrong i'm just stating my opinion on this before i obviously like, get called out on it yeah,
0: right, it's right.
1: like because they came out of independence they hated the white man they kicked the white man out and you got given a you con- now you can't run a country because you kicked out the people that could run the country but i also look at their side also these white people can still take advantage of them because they're the only ones who can run the country. They have the knowledge. They have the knowledge to run the country. And that's where it's just stuck in the middle now. There's no right or wrong of what they've done. But the only way I could actually judge the thing is, like, compare them to South Africa and Zimbabwe. Mm. If you look at Robert Mugabe came, he was the first president of Zimbabwe. He kicked all of the white people out. He was in power as a dictator for how many years. Like, he went, I think he was even, he was there until 90-something years. I think he's been in power for over 40 years. Wow. Yeah, over 40 years he's been in power. And then you get Nelson Mandela that came and apartheid, and he brought the country in. He didn't kick the white person out. He made the white people work with the black people, and the black people learned how to run the country from the white people. The different perspectives of... How a situation is handled but to get rid of hating your heart is not every man can do that especially if you understand what kind of horrors they went through in the time beg your pardon
0: yeah you're right um and even in the united states you know yeah he was in power uh for 1980 1987
1: yeah, 1987 to 2020 and he? he died last year, no? uh, I think he died 2019,
0: it's over like a lot of years. Yeah, like you said, almost 20 years. It's a lot. Yeah, okay. Um. So I'm just thinking I want to change speed a bit. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a lot of insight from your childhood, what life was like in Biloel and Zimbabwe. When you moved to the UK, when you moved to England with your dad, what what was life like?
1: Um, It was different. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give like, I'm going to say something that when I first came to England, because of the whole situation of being raised in a, in a, in a viewing of like white is like, this is what I used to get told as a kid from, from other family members, like white is right. Mm-hmm. That's what they were brought up getting taught. White is right. Mm-hmm. And then when you came here and you saw so many white people, you felt an instant inferiority. You felt smaller than them, but it slowly disappears. The more you get connect with the white people from here, because you can also experience, you don't feel white people in Africa, you get the racist, extremely racist people. I'm going to say like some African white people are extremely racist people. Mm-hmm. And then there's some African white people that the nicest people you can ever meet. And it's the same for black people also because I'm born in the center.
0: Mm-hmm. I was
1: I, I, was never accepted being a part of the black people or was accepted being a part of the white people. Mm-hmm. Because of that, we were forced to make our own little section of the mixed race people. Mm-hmm. And that's how apartheid separated all of us. And we still like that to this day.
0: And that's the legacy of apartheid. Yeah. Okay. So uh, when you moved to the UK and you realized... That you know, there are those extremes, extremely racist people, uh, people that are the kindest people. What has your experience been like thus far here? Um, I experienced
1: the same thing, yeah. You get the extremely, like, the most loveliest white people you ever met in your life, and then you get the most racist people you can also experience to this day, mm. yeah, because, um. It's my experience that I experienced in a bus, like a racist sort of slur from a kid. Um, I don't really look mixed race. I look very Arabic as sorts. So I experienced like a racist slur that's meant for more of Arabic people from a white man, from a white kid actually. Mm. Talking about I was sitting on the bus, I had my headset on and the kid was just playing in the back. And then he was like, be careful, be careful, don't mess with with him in front. Because if he says, Alak, ah, we're all in trouble in this bus. And you know, already, how is a kid knowing that if it's not taught?
0: Right, right.
1: And it just says, like, only hate, only can be passed on. If you're teaching your kid that, if you're saying that in front of your kid, it's just going to be passed on.
0: Right. Okay.
1: In the same situation like that, then, so.
0: Now, from a financial standpoint, um, so you were 18 at the time. The I don't know what the education system was like in, in, in Zimbabwe. In the United States, when you're 17, 18, you graduate from high school, and then you have the option to go to college or university or enter the military or go to vocational school or start your own business or um, go work for someone. What is the age when, when you're done with, I guess, formal schooling?
1: Um, formal schooling it's at 16 when you do your GCSEs or what they call in Zimbabwe is O-levels. Okay. So if you do your O-levels, you can stop at 16. You can decide what you want to do if you want to work or you want to do open your own business. But there's no work or businesses there because there's no money around to actually do anything. Mm-hmm. So the only good thing you could do is illegal stuff to make your means. Uh, yeah and that's what the country is like because you find the smuggle gold to make a living you smuggle diamonds to make a living because our country is wealthy but we don't have the knowledge to actually take advantage of that wealth
0: and when you say wealthy you mean there's an abundance of natural resources yeah. that you can make money from
1: yes but the only people capitalizing on it is the government and they're not bringing it out so everybody can share they're capitalizing it for the single selves Ah. yeah and that's where our economy struggles to this day because of that
0: okay so what made you so you moved here when you were 18 what what did you do like for money what 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 your dad do
1: um lucky enough my dad had a professional trade so he works as an electrician Mm. so in my time when my father came home when I was about 17-ish, when I was just about turned 17. Mm-hmm. So I had a year of me trying to figure out what I want to do because I finished my GCSEs. Mm. So my father came back home as an electrician. He had a trade. So I just used to shadow him to learn the trade. And that's what I'd done for the two years that I was kind of in Zimbabwe before I came to England. I shadowed my father to learn how to do electrician. So... Because he was a specialist in uh, medical equipment and like medical equipment and laboratory equipment. So he used to specialize in fixing those things. So he used to work in like the medical centers, like all the hospitals. Mm. So he used to fix hospital machinery. So I used to follow him fixing the hospital machineries and learn from him, learning how to do all the ohm tests and like the fault power like it's all the changing of plugs all of the small things that I learned okay. and then we went from there and then obviously because hospitals are hospitals you, they need it everywhere so that's how he had his finance like had his income and he worked in a he also worked in a laboratory that they that made like tablets and stuff like stop pain and paracetamol
0: and paracetamol for uh those in the US that's the equivalent of Tylenol okay I had to learn that when I first came over here okay I I, thought it, tylenol?
1: Was, I thought it was just all the same like yeah. the same name like paracetamol so yeah that's where my father used to work in like fixing the machinery of all the paracetamol machines and all the ovens to bake the tablets and all of that uh. so I used to follow him and watch him do that to earn a bit of money okay yeah and then obviously you also used to do forex exchange but not on the internet this was like exchanging forex if you had 100 US dollars mm-hmm. and somebody wants US dollar and they have rand you charge them
0: extra because your US dollars in demand so, like you were saying, if it's 1 to 10, 1 US dollar to 10 Rand, and let's say they had 100 Rand, they want to convert it to yeah, $10, I, you would charge them an extra 10 Rand. So, pay me 110 Rand, and I give you $10.
1: Yeah, and that's how the situation was. If you had the US dollar, you had the power. So, you just used to go in and used to swap it about, trade it up. If you had British pounds, you used to do it. Ah. Yeah, if you did, like, there was this one place in town where you just pack up, and you get, should exchange your money. For different rates depending on the situation, and they walked to your car.
0: So it was like an open market for an exchange. Yes. And now they have it virtually. I know we were having a conversation earlier, and you were telling me about how you now do foreign exchange trade online. Yeah. So I want to know how did you come from a background uh in a country where there was really no financial management, no financial awareness to someone who now today actually trades foreign exchange online like how did you bridge that gap how did you get to that point
1: um i think because my father was obviously lived in britain so he used to send me money british pounds Mm -hmm. so because i used to get british pounds and then i I wanted to change them to us dollar because that's the dominant money in the country at that time Mm -hmm. so when i used to come at the british pound then you find certain people wanting the british pound because they go into england uh-huh. So then that's where I used to capitalize on it I used to swap my British pound for more uh-huh. Because it's in more demand Because this, the because dominant at that time was the US dollar and the rand So the British pound was in more in demand So I used to go in with my British pounds A few British pounds that I had Maybe like 50 pounds mm-hmm. at the time Swap it for about double the amount Make like 100 US Maybe even a bit less than 100 US wow. Depending on the situation And then that's how it used to go and then also used to trade goods. Like if my father used to send me, like let's say I got a new iPhone 5. Mm. And because they were new at the time, I could sell it for, let's say, the iPhone 5. I think I, I forgot how much the price was. Let's say iPhone 5 was about 600 pounds. And then he used to send it to me, like secondhand it wasn't new, obviously. Like my father bought it from second hand, sent it to me. I would, could sell it for about to say 500 us at that time mm. i could sell about six seven hundred us depending on how much money the guy has on him at, at the time. time wow and that's how i used to trade you get used to get the money and then from there you um i used to go into the marketplace this marketplace was like with all the gads gadgets and stuff mm. um you used to go and look for certain goods because you used to sell goods in there. And then obviously, you know, certain people that want a certain thing, mm. because now you trade in that little circle of like electronics. And that's how I used to do my trade with Forex and electronic sales.
0: So you started off gradually. First, you learned, mm, I can swap the, the RAND for US dollars. And you started to get British pounds. And you worked with the currency that way. And then you started to get actual products. And you started to trade those and make more money. And so it was an evolution.
1: Yeah, and that's how dollars used to go. Just trading it slowly and surely. Okay. And then also it used to work like if I had an iPhone 5. And they had, like, let's, because this is, like, back in the day, though. So I think it was the Nokia N97 or the ones you used to flip on the side. Yeah. 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 yeah, They had, like, and then you come with the iPhone 5, and then they'll be, like, okay, I'll give you this iPhone, this Nokia, and I'll give you 100 US on top of it to take your iPhone 5. Then you swap it now, and you have that N97. And then you have 100 US. That 100 US belongs to you now. You have that N97 now. And you look for somebody who wants the N97 from a different phone right? and then you go and you swap it there. Sometimes it can be a win where you can say where he comes with a better phone than that, but he doesn't know he has a better phone than that. So you just need to be the salesperson at the time. You either swap it for equal amount, but if the person actually doesn't know the value of his phone, mm-hmm. you actually can make him pay for your phone that you have. that's less for it depending on the situation. So it's just on a salesman situation. It's just...
0: It's like you were saying, knowledge is power. Mm -hmm.
1: And that's how you learned, like, you had to know your market at the time of how you're trading it. Okay. Yeah, and then that's how it is. And then also, if you have got given, because sometimes you find people come from South Africa or England, as I was saying, because our country is very vast, like, with the alone, I used to have people that used to come from South Africa, used to have people come from Botswana. These are all neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. But you find because they not allowed to live in the country the other countries for too long like South Africa I think you could get a visa for three months Mm. then when your visa expires you have to come home for a certain amount Mm. and that's where what used to happen they used to go work in South Africa get like products and stuff and then when they come home they have all this stuff here but they don't know the value of it because they've been out of the country for so long mm-hmm. and that's where I used to dominate on it and I used to have this product and they used to like the, my product that I have and then I wanted their product because I knew the value of their product and used to swap it and that's how I used to make the money and that's how the money used to work and then also US dollar to the rand mm-hmm. because they have rands now and I've been working with US dollar because I've been swapping phones. Mm-hmm. I can also trade the US dollar for the rands because the, rand, the US dollars was more Wanted it in Zimbabwe, then the RAND. And then I can swap the RAND for the US dollar for more than what the RAND is there.
0: Okay, it's so I want to ask now, how did you get introduced to the online foreign exchange? Um, To be fair, since
1: I came to England, I always used to see, on Instagram, when I joined Instagram, I always used to see these like Forex exchange like programs or whatever just popping up. And I always used to wonder about it. like, is this actually a thing? Can they actually forex exchange? Because I really know the base of money. Yeah, you
0: understand it. Yes,
1: and I always used to look at it. And I was always like, I'm not too sure, I'm not too sure. And then my cousin phoned me up. He was like, do you want to learn about forex exchange? And I was like, yeah, why not? And he was like, oh, join us. Join this call here. Listen to this guy. And you can decide whether or not if you want to join or not.
0: And that's where it started for you? Yep, and
1: that's where it started, and that's where we went from there.
0: Okay, okay. And how successful have you been? Well, how long have you been doing
1: it? Um, I've been learning, I've been like, because I was in college and doing this as a part thing, so I've been learning and using a demo account, account to learn how to trade, obviously, mm. not using real money, just mm. using a demo account, so fake money, more or less. I've been doing that for like a few weeks, and then I recently started on my account, so I made about... 300 pounds, roughly.
0: Okay, so you done made a profit.
1: I made a profit, yeah. Well, congrats to you.
0: And by the way, what are you in school for right now?
1: Architecture.
0: Architecture. (laughs) So it's the
1: other side of the spectrum, I'm telling you.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. So uh, something else I want to ask you on on the pre-interview questionnaire. Mm -hmm. I always ask my guests this. uh, What was the most impactful book or podcast that they've ever read or heard? And you said "How to Win Friends and Influence People" by Dale Carnegie. Could you could you tell me a bit about that book and why that was the most impactful for you?
1: Okay, um, let me let me explain how I got introduced to the book first. Okay. Because it's also a good story. Like my aunt works on a, used to work on a farm to mm-hmm. this white man mm-hmm. who owned this f- plot of land. A very, like how I said, you get, obviously, the racist white people, and then you get the extremely nice white people Mm -hmm. that actually look after everybody. He was an extremely nice white man, and I always had a bit, I would say I wasn't, I'm still not extremely sociable, Mm -hmm. like, I'm very shy as such, so... He gave Stephanie that book at first because he gave Stephanie to read that book, and I and saw Stephanie, Stephanie is your cousin, right? Stephanie is my sister. This <laughs> <Your sister>, is <laughs> Stephanie, sister, yeah. yeah. So he gave Stephanie my the book, and she read it, and she was like, "This is like good to influence people, you know." Like, and then I saw the cover, and I was like, "This is a bit different. I never ever saw a book like that before." Mm. So I just skimmed through it. I went through the first like few pages, and I was like, "This is different. It's telling, it's explaining you how you can." it's more like a psychology method it's like learning mm-hmm. about the psychology of how someone thinks so you shouldn't just put yourself you should also see it from their perspective when you're talking about something mm-hmm. you shouldn't just be one-sided narrow-minded mm-hmm. open your mind so you can understand both of them and that's how you influence people because you understand them and you also can put your way your words forward so they can understand them your words from their perspective too so you it's like a give take mm-hmm. you're giving them your knowledge in a way that they can understand it from their perspective so that's how it like came in and he also like the the, the man like the, my aunt's boss on the farm at that time mm. he was a very how can i say it is very like a very very clever man as long as i can say it extremely clever mm-hmm. yes he's one of those people you have like you know when you see them and they how they talk and how they in like how They do stuff. You just think he's like, I would have never thought of a way to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And that's how kind of person he was. So watching him and seeing him give that book out, I thought, I also want to be something like that, being able to be able to think about a situation in a certain way where no one would have thought of it. And that's how I went. And I was like, okay, I want to read that book. In the end, now I have that book there. I was given that book. like, We were given the books, me and Stephanie, because both of us were quite influenced by him like that. And mm. we're given that book, and the book is currently at home. I still have
0: it to this day. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. And I, 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 well, it might be a moot, moot point, but I still have to ask, would you recommend it to other people?
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I would say give it a shot. Okay. It's not I- everybody's cup of tea, though, because it's very in-depth. It tells you how to do stuff.
0: (laughs) How do you think it's influenced your understanding of psychology and your communication style?
1: Um, I would say I've never been a narrow-minded person. That's one thing I can say. But it made me think of a two-way street. It's not always just one way. You need to see it from their side too. So Mm -hmm. it's a give-take. You're not just taking. You need to also be able to See that you're giving it and taking it, and then put it in put myself in the shoes. If I say it this way, would it make sense to me? If I say it that way to me, mm. you know, like thinking to yourself, if I say this how it's gonna to be to the other person?
0: How will they receive that? Yes,
1: sure. and then obviously it just it depends on how you wanna think about it. So okay, it's just it's also how you perceive the book because somebody else can read it and think something different of how they read the book. Right. It's just how you see it. Each person has their own thought on it. Like how I'm saying, you can have, think differently. So, each person can think differently about the book. I'm just giving my perspective of it.
0: Okay. So
1: disclaimer, you know. <laughs>
0: right, right. Right. So I want to ask: Do you talk with with your sister about your your foreign exchange uh, uh, account and how you're trading on that? Um, I have for but,
1: and I wanted to introduce her, but she said no thanks. Ah. Yeah, she's like, you make the money and then we share it.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah. So I was going to ask <laughs> if you use some of the things from the book to influence her to to get into online trading.
1: Um, that's another thing. Like, if somebody flat out says no, there's no room for no- negotiation, is there? Right. Like, if, if you get somebody's curiosity. Like, I watched, uh, I'm pretty sure people know this, the Hoof of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. When you say, sell me the pencil. Like, if I'm trying to sell you a pencil, you need to know if the guy's looking for the pencil, mm. the market of the pencil. You can't just go there and you'll be like, this pencil is this and this and this. You know, this is the best pencil underneath the sun. Maybe that guy doesn't want a pencil. He's been writing on a laptop. He doesn't need the pencil. Right. You see, now that's the whole situation of it. Stephanie asked her, issue, does she want to get involved in it? I said, like, a Forex Exchange. She says, flat out, no. There's no room for any negotiation. Because right.
0: you know? with her, there's no market for it. Yeah. She's not looking for a foreign Yeah, exchange. and that's
1: where it differs from.
0: Okay. Very insightful. Well, I've really enjoyed this interview. Um, I think just the overall recap, just hearing your story, is it's phenomenal. Just coming from where you came from to where you are now. You're in school. You're going to school to be an architect. You're doing online foreign exchange trading. You were trading in the open market back in Bulawayo in Zimbabwe. Um, I'm I'm impressed by by you, by you, young man, and it, it's, it just sounds like a story of perseverance and of continued learning. So I I congratulate you. I celebrate stories like this one, and I appreciate you being a guest here on the Distinct Lens Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Enjoyed being a guest, yeah. Lovely. Okay.
0: Okay. Now, uh, I don't know if you want to give anyone a shout out or have anybody follow you on Instagram. You can um, go ahead and give you a handle if you want.
1: Yeah, my Instagram is so simple. Just Gerard Greenland. You should find me. Yeah, I'm a private user, so don't mind that. Just follow and I'll accept. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well,
0: it was a pleasure having you here. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much. All righty.